God is love. What a great way to end a series on the grand event. That's what we've been doing over the last few weeks, even a couple of months now, as we've been walking through the message from 2 Peter chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got an app, punch the button. If you have a friendly neighbor that you can scoot close to, or if there's somebody cute you can scoot close to, just go ahead, scoot close to them, open up the Bible, and let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. It's the grand event, and it's going to be wrapped up in love. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says that we have everything that we need for godliness, and it's been given to us by God. It is His gift. It is His blessing to us. Because what we are trying to do in our lives is learn what it means to, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Anyone who claims to be in Him must walk as Jesus walked. Now that's the message that comes from John as he would write to the churches in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. And what, what we're trying to do is learn, well, exactly where do those footsteps lead us and what does it look like when we walk in those footsteps? And then we wonder, can we actually live up to the expectations that God has for us? Can we truly be godly in our life? And Peter says you can because you've got everything that you need. And he goes on in this chapter to list a number of different virtues that he says we need to add to our life. And we've called this the grand event because the way that the way that we look at what Peter has said, when we start to dig in, we realize that, that the grand event is God's expectation. You see, when he, in his text here, says, add to your faith, he uses a word for add that in his language and in his time was used for individuals who were responsible for putting on a grand choral performance. And it was their responsibility to make sure that all the preparations were made and that everything was gathered and that everything was put in its place and that everything was ready for the event to be something that would be memorable so that it would be something that would impact those who came so that people would be talking about it for months to come. It was a grand event. And Peter pulls that word from his culture and he places it there in the text. And he writes to Christians and he says, just like, just like those grand choral performances that you see going on in the communities around you, and just like those individuals who are responsible to making sure that everything goes off perfectly, as they're going around and, and adding this singer, and as they are adding this venue, and as they are adding this particular part, he says, I want you to add something. I want you to add something to your life. And so he starts with faith and he begins to build. And one by one, if you've been able to, to share some time with us over the last few weeks and months, we have just walked through these different virtues together. And we come this morning to the final one. As Peter says, I want you to add to your faith love. Now, as you're reading through your text, you might see that he had already used a word for love. Maybe it's mutual affection in your text. Perhaps it's listed as brotherly love even. It was a word we looked at last week called Philadelphia. It's another word that Peter had on hand to use for love. But it was a love that was meant and that was used specifically in his culture to talk about a blood relation. The fact that you were blood brothers. The fact that there was nothing that could separate you. And he would use that word in a way to say, now in Christ, you too are related. Because you have the same father. 
And we saw last week that what Peter was trying to get at was that we needed to love who God loves. And this week, we're going to see that we need to love like God loves. He uses a word here that's translated in your Bibles as love. The word is agape. It's a word that is famous because he and other New Testament writers made it so. The reason that you perhaps have heard of agape in the past and know anything about its meaning, know anything about its weight and value is because of the value that it's given in the text of the New Testament. And how the writers there say, this is who God is. This is what God is about. And maybe in your studies in the past, you've learned that agape is an unconditional love. Where conditional love is predicated on desire and expectations. It takes an if-then, I'll love you kind of form. Agape is different where instead of an if-then, it's I will love you even though. It's not a conditional love. With conditional love, decision follows emotion. I feel love, therefore I will love. But agape is different. With agape, emotion follows decision. Now, that doesn't mean agape is emotionless. It doesn't mean there's no emotion connected with this idea of love. But it's that I will love, therefore I feel love. I choose to love. And oftentimes, we choose to love not only before there is emotion, but sometimes in spite of other emotions that just come naturally. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me cough some more. (coughs) Anybody else want to cough? This is your coughing time in the sermon. Usually it's after prayer, but um, today we're going to do it right in the middle of, of the lesson. So go ahead. One more time. Ready? One, two. <coughs> awesome. Good. So let's move on. So you've got this idea of agape, and sometimes it's not, it's not just that it happens before emotion comes. It's even in the face of emotions that seem so totally opposite to love. Because all these other emotions are building up in your life. You, you face betrayal, but you still love. You face rejection, but you still love. You face evasion, but you still love. You love in the face of just rank evil. It wills love, even when circumstances trigger that maybe the emotions should be anger or there should be withdrawal or revenge. Agape, then, is not a because of love. It's an in spite of love. And one author, I, I love the way he puts this. He says, agape is unprovoked love. It's unprovoked. Usually we hear that term used when there's been something bad happen, right? You'll read something in the paper, you'll see something online, how that there was an act of unprovoked violence. And that's usually how the word is attacked. Something bad happens and we say it was unprovoked. The person did nothing to deserve whatever it was that happened to them. But what if you looked at agape as being unprovoked? Agape is unprovoked love. It seeks those who never saw it coming, who never had it coming. It seeks those who never sought it out. It shows up unannounced and unexpected, and agape love shows up undeserved. It doesn't rise up to our beauty. It it doesn't rise up because of popularity. It doesn't depend on worthiness. It doesn't hang on all these good works. We love unprovoked just because, because we are able to, because the opportunity is there, because we can. Some of you people are Elvis fans. Any Elvis, Elvis people in the building? We got anybody? 
Well, thank you. Thank you very much, right? You just start wanting to do it. You talk about Elvis and you, you start wanting to weigh, you know, get your arm going and we're at church, so no hips, please. Um, but Elvis had a song where he said, I can't help what? Falling in love with you. Wise men say, right? Yeah, I know. Elvis left the building. All right. He says, I can't help falling in love with you. They can't help it. But that's just the point. When it comes to the love that Peter is talking about in your text, it's a love that you can help because you choose it. You can actually help falling in love. You can choose not to love. You can choose not to love as God loves. Or you can learn to love like God. Unprovoked. Just loving because the opportunity is there. Loving because someone came into your, your path, your sphere. Loving because the event just arose. Loving because there was nothing else that you could choose to do, perhaps. Or maybe because there were so many other things you could choose to do. And yet you said love. When you choose to love like God, it changes the way that you see uh, certain groups of people. It changes the way that you see those who are the least of these and those who are the best of these and, and those who are the worst of these. The least of these, that's the person that is least likely to be noticed. In our busyness and our competitiveness and our selfishness, it's just easy to run past those who are the least. But agape, it chooses and it begins to subvert our haste and our indifference. And it begins to overturn what is just a natural reaction that we have in our life. And the natural way that we look and that we see other people. And one of the first signs is that we start to care for those whom without love we're just tempted to sidestep. You begin to see, you know what, I'm adding to my faith love. And I'm loving the way that God loves. When those that we would normally be too hurried for, those that we would normally overlook, those that we normally wouldn't care for, all of a sudden we are stopping and we're pausing and we're taking time to be involved in their life. It's the glass of cold water to the thirsty ragamuffins. It's the, the clothes to the beraggled refugees. It's the hot meals for the disheveled panhandlers. You know, there's a story in your Gospels that comes from Mark chapter 11 where Jesus goes into the temple area and he begins to overturn tables where you have individuals who are, who are selling goods. And they're selling goods to people who are needing to make certain sacrifices and they're, they're uh, not doing a fair exchange. And as Jesus says, you have turned the temple of God, you've turned this place that was supposed to be a place of prayer into a place of thieves. And he gets all upset and he, he makes the people leave and he, he says he doesn't want them there anymore and he shows with this righteous indignation. And when you read through that particular story, you wonder what is it that gets him so upset here? Well, you do a little reading in history and you begin to understand that these particular tables where there was the buying and selling that was going on, the ripping off that was taking place, these were set up in an area that was known as the court of the Gentiles. And this was the area that that those who were non-Jews, those who were not a part of the history of Abraham, those who were not Hebrews, but those who wanted to come and to express worship to the God of the Hebrews, to the God of the commandments, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they could come here in the court of the Gentiles and they could come and they could worship. And yet it was here in this place 
that there was a toll booth, so to speak, that was put up. It was here in this place that it was made even more difficult for those who were the farthest, who were the least in the religious community to be able to approach and come to God because in order to get into their area, they were having to pay these exorbitant prices to be able to have times of worship and sacrifice. And Jesus, seeing all this that takes place, remembers the least. And he builds up with anger, the scripture says, and he throws these individuals out. And he says, this is to be a house of prayer for all nations, for all nations. You see, prayer is the casualty of greed, but so is a spirit of welcomeness. And the temple rulers had embraced practices that It homogenized the place and it catered and welcomed only one kind of people, their kind. And Jesus says, that's not how it's supposed to be. And so after this, you find what happens. He cleanses the temple and the blind, the lame, and the sick come to him and he heals them. He looks out for those who are the least, for those who are the brokenhearted. And then further still, the love, loving like God means that we love the best of these. Now, these are the people that are just better. And maybe they're just much better. I joke sometimes with preachers and I tell them, you know, there's always somebody who can do your job better than you. But your job is to make sure the elders don't go and look for that person, right? I mean, that's it. Now, it's not just for preachers. It's the same in your life too. There is somebody that can do your job better than you can do it, but just don't give your bosses a reason to go find that man or woman. Don't do it. But man, when we find somebody else that's better, when we find someone else that's the best, it becomes so difficult. It becomes so heart-wrenching because we look and we see the person that we work alongside and we know that they are going to probably receive the promotion instead of us. We see the person on the sports field and they just excel and they can just shoot better or they can just hit better and they can just run faster and maybe someone has a better voice and maybe someone is just a better salesman, someone is better with numbers, someone is just more of a people person, someone just gets it while other people do not. And what do we do with those people? What do we do with those people who are just better and who just look better and, and act better and do everything better than what we want to do? Peter says, add to your faith love. You love like God. You love even though they are better. Now, this is not something that God has to do within himself because God himself is superior. But for us, it's a needed component to our life. Because when we have the love that God has and when we love is when he loves, we are able to love those, not just those who are the least in our lives, but those who are the best in our lives. And I love the story that was used earlier as we were thinking during our time of communion, and it was brought up about David and Jonathan. And remember, Jonathan, he knows that David is going to be king. He knows that his time on the throne for, for himself is not going to be, and yet he has a close friendship with David, and he helps David, he wants David to succeed. David was the best of these. And maybe we should take a note from Jonathan's book, and love as God loves. Maybe there's someone right now in your family, maybe there's someone that is in this church, maybe it's someone at your office, maybe it's someone at school. Someone that you are jealous of, someone that you are envious because of what they've been able to achieve. 
And you haven't been able to show them love. Instead, there's been resentment. And instead, there's been bitterness. And maybe you've even tried your best to make it so that they will look bad and that they will fail. And Peter says, add to your faith, love. Love like God. So you love the least and you love the best. And then you also love the worst. You love your enemy. The worst of these is the person that you have the least reason to like and maybe you have the most reason to to hate. We especially need this love in our life because it just seems like, let's just be honest, there's so many people out there that are just easy to hate, right? I mean, some of you, I tell you, when you get in the car and you start driving down the road, all the people you hate come and get in front of you, don't they? They do. I mean, they just, you don't know how they know you're on the road, and you don't know how they know that you're in a hurry, but everybody that you hate just comes and gets in front of you, and they slow down. And they have nowhere to go. And they're just out looking at the leaves and having a jolly old time. And, and you hate them. You do. And if only we could laugh at all the instances of hate supposedly that come up in our life. But there are times that we won't talk to people at Thanksgiving around the, our own dinner table because of the anger that's in our heart. And there are individuals that we will not share a meal with. There are individuals that we will not share a phone call with. Individuals that we will not share an email with. We won't share a cup of coffee because we hate. And they're against us and we're against them. And Jesus says, listen, you've heard that it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. Anybody in here ever been told that you look like your mom or dad? How many of you have been told that before? And how many of you just can't stand that? Just go ahead, be honest. You're like, you know, I, I really hoped I wouldn't look like them. I didn't want to do that. And yet you're told, oh, I know whose boy you are. I tell you, you can't get away. You look just like your mama, right? You've heard these things before. And maybe you've tried your best to say, no, it's not going to be that way. And it's not going to happen. Or maybe you're happy about it. But notice again what Jesus says. He says, listen, when you pray for those who persecute you, you will be sons of your Father in heaven. That means people are going to see you and they're going to say, I know whose kid you are. I know who you are because you look just like your dad. You look just like your father. Because I know how God loves. And I know how Jesus himself said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I know that you could get back at work, and I know that you could get back in this community, and I know that you could get back at someone in your family, but I've seen what you've done, and I've seen the love that you've given, and I know whose kid you are. Wouldn't it be great to be known as a son or daughter of God? All because of the love that we gave. Now, I said earlier that the agape love is unprovoked love, but it's only half true. In God, it is unprovoked, but in us... In us, it's provoked by God. God sparks it, fuels it, He stokes it. We sing the song together, love one another for God is love. It starts with Him and it ends in Him. This is love, John says, not that we love God, but that He loved us. The love of Christ compels us, Paul would write. There is just something about the love of God as it wells up with inside us that ends up causing us to live different types of life. 
You see, when you've experienced the agape love of God, when you've experienced how he loves you even though you're the least, when you've experienced how he's loved you even though you thought you were the best, when you've experienced how he loved you even though at times you were definitely his enemy, then it changes the way that you treat others. It changes the way that you live your life. It's the only thing that can provoke agape love in you is the love that God has for you. And so Peter says, add to your faith, love. Love like God. And so we come to the end of our time. We come to the end of the walk that we've taken with Peter and And he wants you to know why he has gone through this list. He wants you to understand why it's so important. I want you to look one more time at your text here. And I want you to see what he says after after he talks about the love. He says in verse 8, the the more you grow like this, the the more you have these things in your life, the more you possess it, as it says here on the wall, it's going to keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And remember, what do we say at the beginning? What are we trying to learn how to do? Walk in the footsteps of Jesus, right? We want to know more about what is it that it means to have the mind of Christ, and what does it mean to have his heart, and what does it mean to have his patience, and what does it mean to have his joy, what does it mean to have his love, what does it mean to have all these different attributes. And Peter says, listen, if you will add to your faith, then you'll come to know what it truly means to be like Jesus. You will not be unproductive. You will not be ineffective. But... Whoever does not have them, he says, you're blind and you're nearsighted and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your old sins. See, if you have gone through this series with us and if you've walked through the text here with Peter and if you've looked at certain virtues, you said, you know what, I, I, like, I like this one, but I don't like that one so much. And I'll add this one to my life, but I'm going to hold off on this other one because it's just a little bit too difficult. The self-control, I don't really want, but I'll take the patient endurance. He says, listen, here's what you're saying. You're saying that you've forgotten the fact that you were saved by the grace of God and the love that he poured out. You've forgotten the fact that God has redeemed you. You've forgotten where you came from and where God wants to take you. Because he's trying to mold you into the very image of his son. And if you don't add these things to your life, then you've forgotten where you started at. So he says in verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. And then he says in verse 10, my dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. See, that's the grand event. The grand event that You are being molded into the image of Jesus and there is coming a time where you are going to be with God himself. He says, listen, if you're concerned about who you are, if you're concerned about the relationship that you have with God, 
If you don't trust in yourself, and if you think that the temptations are too much, even though you gave your life to God, maybe when you were younger, you were baptized in the Christ for the remission of your sins, and you were on fire for him, but now you look at your life and you say, you know what? I just don't know how close I truly am to God. I don't know if I'm living up to those expectations. Here's what Peter says. Add to your faith. And if you do these things, he says, you're not going to fall away. You're not going to turn away from God if you're continuing to be molded into the image of Jesus. And then I love this part here. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we all want? We want for when this life is over for there to be time with God, that the grand event of us being molded into the image of Jesus finally comes to its conclusion with the grand entrance into the kingdom of God. It's just hard to do. It's hard to, to take that step and to say, you know what, I'm going to follow after Jesus. And that's why we've gone through this together. That's why we've said, listen, discipleship is an active process, it's not passive. You're going to have to have some skin in the game. You're going to have to, to do something. You're going to have to, to work on these different virtues and, and choose to place them in your life. And we try to remind one another that, you know what, this is not something that you have to do by yourself. Instead, this is something that we do together because it's a communal experience, right? But we have to believe that we can actually be the people that God calls us to be. Sometimes it's just hard to take that step. It reminded me of the, uh, the scene from The Lord of the Rings where you've got Frodo and his best friend Sam and, and they're about to go on a journey. They have no idea where this journey is going to take them, but they're going to leave the comfort of the Shire. And I want to just show you, I want to show you just a clip from the movie that came out a number of years ago and see if you can, see if you can feel the, the same emotion as you think about your own journey that we're going on. Guys, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and go to that slide. This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. If I take one more step, I'll be the farthest away from home that I've ever been. Maybe that's how you've looked at these different virtues. Maybe it's how you've looked at walking with God, thinking if I take one more step and follow where Jesus leads, I'll be the farthest from home I've ever been. And it unnerves you and it causes you fear and you just don't know, is this really what I need to do? Can I do this? It's a danger stepping outside your front door. 
It's a danger when you say, I'm going to follow after God and I'm going to go where he sends because it's so counterintuitive and he leads us in directions that we never would have thought. But we don't have to walk alone. He's promised to be with us every step of the way. And so my encouragement to you today is to participate in the grand event, to allow God to change you by adding to your faith. It's God's great expectation for your life. We're going to sing another song of encouragement together. And as we sing this song, and it's talking about coming to God on, on bended knee and, and coming with a broken heart, then I hope that you'll remember that we have been given everything we need to live a godly life. And if you've been struggling with that, and if you need the prayers of this body, then we encourage you to come and let's just pray for you. Or if you'd like to give your life over to Jesus Christ being baptized this morning, we'll celebrate with you. And we look forward to a time where all together, the journey is over, and we have the grand entrance into the very kingdom of God. Until then, we'll keep taking one step after another. Let's stand and sing.